With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, you want to go to war? You want a war? You're going to get one. This is the Dynasty War Zone, the People's Dynasty Podcast, and here are your hosts, Memphis at DFF Memphis and Jerry at Jerry Sin DFF. Are you looking for a reminder of your fantasy football greatness? Are you looking for something to set your league apart from those dime a dozen jabroni leagues out there? Then head over to trophysmack.com and hook your league up with the best trophies in the game today. And not only will you get the best trophies in the game today, you can get a free championship ring up to a $59.99 value by entering in the promo code DWZRING. You pick out your trophy, which one do you like? You put it in the cart, you add the ring to the cart, you add the promo code DWZ ring, makes the ring free, and your league is now a step above the league down the street. So if you're looking for the best, you want to be the best in the game, you want to have the best league in town, go over to trophysmack.com, get that trophy, get that ring, use that code DWZ ring, and let's have a big season. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday and happy bonus show, and welcome to the Dynasty War Zone, the people's dynasty podcast and tonight's topic is talking rookies especially quarterbacks with mark schofield mark is an amazing guest i'm going to bring him on in just a few minutes but want to cover a little bit of housekeeping before i go into the body of the show originally in wednesday's show i thought we would get jerry i thought that the fine folks of x Internet service provider would have my man's service turned back on. Um, It's an outage in his area. I guess it has the coronavirus just like Jerry does not. Jerry is happy. Jerry is healthy. He's up there in the great state of Michigan with Mrs. Jerry doing okay. He is still the man of the hour and the man with the power. But unfortunately, his internet has no power. So he's going to set out another one. We hope to have him back real soon to kick off the new league year next week free agency is upon us patreon live is booming Uh, added a new guy to the group chat this week he's already in there mixing it up with the gang Uh, i can't say boys and i love the fact that we can't say boys when we refer to our patreon we we do have a couple of ladies in there and i think that's pretty kick-ass but if you're interested in what we're doing over there Head over to patreon.com forward slash dynasty warzone and see what we're talking about, man. We're building dynasties and more importantly, we're building a community and we're having a hell hell of a lot of fun. And yes, we all do make fun of Jerry. Gonna warn you, the shows are running around 75 minutes. Now this particular one is going to be closer to an hour, but just be prepared. We want to give you something for that commute into work. We want to give you something for that lunch hour. When you slide out of the office and you slide into your car and you just want 60 good minutes, uh, this is the one, man. This this is a good one. Five-star reviews. We could certainly use some more of those. Uh, we're up well over 100, but, man, we're racing to 200. We're about 70 behind the guys over at Dynasty Happy Hour. I would love to zoom past them and get to 200. This is the fastest way to help Jerry and myself grow our podcast. We are independent now. We are no longer affiliated. We're friends. We'll always be friends with the guys over at the Dynasty underscore network. They'll they'll always be our boys, our sister shows, if you will. But that's how you help us. 
go over to iTunes. Again, I always say this, but it's just how it works. I don't know why iTunes, but that's the metric that matters. If you got a friend, a significant other, a coworker, anyone, grab their phone. No, you're not looking at their nudes in their photo reel. You're looking at their podcast account. You're going to Dynasty Warzone. You're leaving a five-star. You're talking about Jerry's trucker hat. You're talking about my southern accent. Whatever you want to talk about, it's all about the five-star. It's all about helping the show grow. Means a ton. And by the way, uh, if you want to know what the person who gave the 100th review got in return, because I said there was going to be a prize, they are now a member of my listener league, and I am paying their league fees this year. So good things happen to those that review. Not everybody's going to get into a league. Not everyone gets a prize, but you never know when we feel like being random and being kind to those that are kind to us. Uh, Call out the social media at Dynasty Warzone on both Instagram and Twitter. I actually posted an internet post the other, uh, excuse me, an Instagram post the other day. Uh, I was editing the John Debari podcast and I thought, you know what, might be a good time to put a little something on the IG. The Twitter, man, it's a lot of trades being retweeted. Don't get into a whole lot of details, but if you need a tr- if you need a trade tweeted, man, at Dynasty Warzone, we'll get your retweet. may take a day or two, but we're staying on top of it. All right, so we're supposed to be talking free agents, you know, last, you know, this week with, with John and up and through next week, but man, when you get a chance to get a to talk to a guy like Mark Schofield, who does stuff with Matt Waldman, as well as other services, you've got to take the opportunity. So I took the opportunity, just me and him, we're going to give you some talk and really stick around to that last 20 minutes. I can tell you I'm recording this open after he and I just finished recording the body of this show. Man, we really get into some quarterbacks, and if you're a super flexer like me, that is my chess. That, that is the way to go about playing. I love the Superflex format. you got to stick around. He gives you a couple of guys that, I always say this, man, you got to walk away from your rookie drafts with at least a quarterback. Just like the Patriots for years. They, they wound up drafting Jimmy Garoppolo, got a pick out of him. They drafted Jacoby Brissett, got a pick out of him. You know, you should be taking swings. Maybe it's not an early swing because you don't need a quarterback. Maybe it's not an early swing because you would be overdrafting a quarterback. But there are certainly names to know, certainly names to to write down that Mark and I cover. But I am not going to beleaguer the point any longer. I'm going to get past this intro, and I am going to bring on Mark. So without further ado, let's talk to Mark Schofield of Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio. All right, joining me right now is a guy that's been around a lot in the dynasty and fantasy writing industry. You might know him from Touchdown Wire, or you might know him from Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, but you definitely know him from Twitter. He's Mark Schofield. Mark, welcome to the Dynasty Warzone. Uh, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk something that... It's football and sports related and not some of the big picture stuff that's going on in the world. So I'm very much looking forward to that, and I'm very much thankful for you to have me. No, really excited to have you on. Uh, definitely looking to get a, a different perspective. We've been very fortunate over the last couple of months to have a lot of people. We've had analytics guys. We've had film guys. Just really enjoy talking about this rookie class because it's very polarizing. And the, the further we get away from the combine and the closer we get to the actual draft it seems as if the the opinion on guys change daily. I, I remember as recently as maybe three weeks ago that the dynasty world was all about in in a non superflex league in a one QB league we were all about DeAndre Swift, and then yeah. and then Jonathan Taylor runs a a four three nine at the combine and everything gets turned on its ear. So we're going to get into some of that in just a minute. But please tell the listeners about what you've got going on. Uh, beyond just being kind enough to jump on for an interview? Well, sure. Um, I mean, basically, the biggest thing I got going on right now is past two weeks or so, I joined the crew with Doug Farrar over at Touchdown Wire 
Um, I've, I've known Doug for a long time now, dating back to our time together at Bleacher Report, where we were part of the NFL 1000 project. Um, so I'm going to be doing a lot of NFL coverage there, but I contribute to a bunch of different places. Uh, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, uh, three different SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, where I co-host the QB Sco show with Michael Kiss, which basically covers quarterbacks. And then Pat's Pulpit, where I have my own show, um, The Sco Show, which is a Patriot slash quarterback uh, podcast. But for the most part, Twitter is the easiest way to find it. You'll have to put up with lots of Peaky Blinders and Scrubs gifts, but on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Well, uh, b- before we get into the football talk, for the the listener that is not educated on the Netflix series, which is actually a British broadcasting company series, Peaky Blinders, you have no idea what you are missing out on. It there is it four seasons now. There, there's it's six, five, five, and and they've the, the done new one. five. They're in production for I don't know when six drops. I think six drops in a couple of months. Um, but yeah, it, it, look, if you haven't watched it, it's absolutely amazing. Um, I just really just recently got into it. Uh, Michael Kist, among others, were trying to get me to get into it. And so finally I, I turned it on. Trevor Sikama, Shane Alexander, they've been saying, look, you need to watch this show. So I finally started a couple weeks ago and I couldn't stop watching it. It's tremendous. Um, it's about post-World War One gains in like Birmingham, England, and it sort of spirals out from there. But it's a really tremendous show. You, you won't stop watching it. And if we're going to be sort of confined to home for a period of time, and you need a show to binge, I'd start there. I, I could not agree more. We found it by accident on Netflix, my wife and I. And if you're looking for it, it's pronounced uh, Peaky, P-E-A-K-Y, Peaky Blinders. It is an excellent watch. Uh, don't over binge. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but it's one of those ones you really want to watch two or three, savor it, let it sink in, yeah. and then jump back in for another handful there's a lot of new kind of like this draft class there's a lot of nuance yep. to it and uh you don't want to miss anything good because you were in a hurry all right let's jump into the boring old football talk enough about okay. enough about worldwide pandemics and netflix series let's talk joe burrow joe yep. burrow joe burrow my, my question on him is, is kind of a multi-faceted one is joe burrow talented enough to overcome what i consider the dysfunction of the cincinnati Bengals? Um, when a guy like Carson Palmer really couldn't, and would Joe Burrow be your QB one in a super flex draft uh, going into 2020? Um, you know, as as far as the dis- the dysfunction part goes, I think he is talented enough. Number one, I think Cincinnati's going to have stuff in around him. Number two, and I think the offense that they're going to be running. Number three, all sort of works in his favor. I mean, when you watch Joe Burrow, when you study him on film. You see a quarterback that checks so many of the different boxes we look for, you know, when it comes to, you know, the playing the position, the things that matter, the accuracy, the pocket movement, the athleticism, the competitive toughness, the toughness in the pocket, the ability to extend and create outside of the pocket, but the ability to stay and fight in the pocket when the pocket breaks down and not rely on his legs and his athleticism. And I think if you see the change in Burrow from where he was, you know, two years ago to where he was last year. You know, you will see somebody that's really sort of put it together at the quarterback position. And people might wonder, well, was, was some of it due to the offense? Was some of it due to Joe Brady? Was some of it due to the fact that you've got, you know, you've got Chase to throw to and you've got Jefferson to throw to. You've got NFL talent all around you. And that's certainly a fair thing to bring up. But you also have to remember that in LSU's offense, they were running, I think it was 83% of their passing plays were a five-man protection scheme, which means – if there's a sixth rusher, it's on Burrow to figure it out, which puts a lot on the quarterback from both a processing speed standpoint and an athleticism standpoint and a play speed standpoint. And so when he gets to Cincinnati and you might have a situation where they've got some weapons, if Green comes back, you know, with John Ross, with, you know, obviously Joe Mixon, what he can do, you know, they're going to need to fix the offensive line. You know, I, I know they're getting, for example, they're, they're getting, you know, the guy that drafted the right tackle they drafted last year. They're getting some guys back. But he might have to create. He might have to account for unblocked defenders. And I think he sort of has that ability. You know, if I'm in, you know, if I'm in Super X League, yeah, yeah, he's my first pick. You know, because I think he's going to produce early and he's going to start on week one. And you know that they're going to throw the ball and they might be in some situations where they're behind. So they're going to be throwing it more. And so certainly. And is he my top quarterback in this 2020 draft class? Absolutely. Like, I don't think there's a, a question beyond that. 
Huh? I, I, I like the certainty in, in which you say it. The, the comps that I've heard for Joe Burrow, if you're looking for an elite comp, it would be Joe Montana. If you're looking for, I don't say average, but maybe a slightly above average comp, it would be Tony Romo. And the floor for Joe Burrow would be Nick Foles. How do you take those comps and, and can you see those uh, through your lens? I certainly do. I mean, I think... I almost want to say a floor for Burrow might be, you know, Foles is good. I mean, you could also say, you know, maybe in a sense, uh, an Alex Smith type, like a guy that, you know, because of there might be some limits with the upper arm strength, um, you know, so maybe he becomes more of a facilitator in the NFL than anything else, more of a, a point guard type quarterback. I think Romo is one that's pretty dead on, you know. Part of the reason that I often shy away from doing comps in a sense is that, you know, with the stuff I do with the Patriots, I, I watch so much Tom Brady. You know, when I started before I was doing this professionally, as you know, a quarterback myself back in the day, a pretty horrible one at that, and then a Patriots fan. And so I've seen, you know, all of Tom Brady's entire career. And so it's hard not to view players through a Tom Brady tinted lens. But when I watch Joe Burrow, not to say that he's comp to Tom Brady or that, that could be where he ends up, I do see some of Brady. You know, I see the footwork in the pocket, the attention to detail, the ability to do the little things. I've said before that he has sort of mastered the minutia of playing the position. And while we all get excited about some of the other things that he does from an athletic standpoint, from a you know competitive toughness standpoint, from a creating outside the pocket standpoint, some of the little things like the shoulder, shoulder pumps or looking defenders off or moving defenders with his eyes, it's Brady-esque in a sense. And so there's certainly potential for him to far surpass, you know, any sort of comp we might make for him. And so, look, I, I think he's a very clean prospect that checks almost every single box. Now, might there be situations where, you know, let's say something crazy happens and you know, he, he doesn't get drafted by Cincinnati. Might there be some offenses that he might not be best suited for? Yeah, I don't think, for example, Tampa Bay would be the best fit for him. But I think with what we expect to see happen with Cincinnati drafting him, you know, first overall, I think that's an ideal situation. And I'm pretty excited about what's going to happen over the next couple of years for him. Well, I, I do I do like that. And I do like the fact that he's a tad older um, for yeah. a, a prospect at this point in his journey and that he played basketball. Now, I I know that the... The, the thought of a basketball player playing quarterback or why does that matter? But I think there's like a, a sense that certain players get from court vision and, and yep. seeing that. Do, do you think that having a basketball background at a, at a pretty decent level, I think he was a state champion, if I remember correctly, yep. in the sport of basketball. What, what, what kind of skills does that translate for him, in your opinion? Well, it's vision – it's process and speed and it's anticipation, right? Like if you think about, you know, someone that's playing basketball at a high level, it's the the court vision, you know, the ability to see things, you know, on the other side of the court, the ability to, you know, if you've got the ball on the high post to see what's happening down in the low post. It's that sort of process and speed because things will happen quickly and you've got to make snap decisions. And it's that sort of anticipation, throwing, you know, backdoor cuts and things like that. You know, those are the things that matter on the court. Those are the things that will translate to the football field, particularly at the quarterback position. And then there's the footwork aspect to it. And one of my favorite things about Burrow, the quarterback, is his footwork. If, if you watch him handle a pocket, whether it's, you know, when, when the pocket breaks down or sometimes it's just a simple RPO design where he has to carry out that mesh fake maybe to his left and then quickly come back and throw something to his right. Watch how quickly his feet stay under him. Watch how his feet always keep him in position to make throws. And if you want to see why it matters, watch some of that from Joe Burrow and then maybe watch a guy like Anthony Gordon who is a late round guy that I'm excited about, but the footwork, the difference between the two could not be more of a starker contrast. And so the basketball stuff has gotten him ready from a footwork perspective, from a speed process and speed, from a, an anticipation perspective, from a vision perspective to play quarterback in the NFL. And when I mentioned he was older, he just turned 23 back in December. So he's by no means past his prime. He's not right. A, it's uh, not a Chris Wanky situation. You, you Don't stole, worry about it. You, you, you stole it right out from under me. Uh, was it Brandon Whedon, an older? Right, Brandon Whedon too. Yep. Another older prospect. All right. So there, and I tell you, what, I, I do appreciate it. You have put thoughts in my head to, uh, I've had Burrow as my one-on-one. -on -one. I've went back and forth between Burrow and Tua. Now I've got to go back into the lab and figure out which one of these yep. QBs is my one-on-one because 
I, I don't know how you process information, but me personally, when I'm given compelling reasons to rethink my current position, I'm always going to do that. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of what I do. Like when I study a guy, I don't read other people's work. I don't watch other people's videos until I'm done. And then I use other people's work as sort of a cross check and process. So if I get done watching somebody, I'll then I'll read what other people have said about, you know, Burrow or Herbert or whomever and then say, oh, well, they noticed this about that player. Did I see the same thing? Did I see something differently? If there's a discrepancy there, I'll go back and rewatch some stuff, you know, to sort of fine tune my own opinion. Sometimes I'll, you know, I won't always change what I'm thinking, but I'll at least see what other people are seeing. And so, yeah, I think it's very important to consume work that others are doing and sort of use that as a cross checking on your own work. Nope. Very good. And I want to transition to the running back position. This has become. Again, I mentioned him briefly earlier and when I first brought you on, Jonathan Taylor. Now, he was always in the top three, I think, for most analysts. And whether you're an analytics person or a film person or, or whatever you are as a listener, uh, he was always in the top three. But after that 4-3-9 at the combine in the 40-yard dash, Jonathan Taylor has become basically the lock to go 101. And while I agree that Jonathan Taylor is an, a very good prospect, it's as if that 4.3 made people forget about the fumbling issues that he had in college. He's not the best pass blocker in the world. And, you know, uh, his route running isn't horrible. Uh, I think that we've we've seen the knock on guys like Leonard Fournette in the past that, quote-unquote, they can't catch the ball. And then Leonard Fournette comes out this year and gets over 100 targets in the passing game. W what do you make of Jonathan Taylor as a total prospect? Is, is he worthy of the 101? Is he firmly in the top three? Do you have issues? I mean, I think, you know, he's a guy that's more, I don't know, especially when it comes to thinking about running backs, you know, because in today's National Football League, running backs, they are being devalued, number one. Number two, the landed spot is going to be critical for him. You know, is he going to go into a situation, he's going to be on a roster where they're going to expect him to be an every down back? Or do, will they have already somebody in place that they have, you know, visions of being that third down type guy that's going to see more activity in the passing game? And so that might sort of decrease his value. And, and so that sort of moves him down in a, a value, an evaluation perspective from where I sit. You know, what's been interesting about watching Jonathan Taylor and seeing how people have sort of gotten excited and energized about him after the combine because of the 4-3-9, I don't know why that moved people so much, moved people so, the way that it did. Because this is somebody that had a, a sprinter's background. You know, he was an all-state sprinter in high school in New Jersey. You know, he had speed to him. And maybe whether it was watching – you know, games at the Big Ten or what it was, people started to assume that maybe he wasn't that fast. And so now they've sort of recalibrated their thinking on him. But he's always had that background to him. So, you know, his his burst wasn't something I was really generally concerned about. I think I'm more concerned about, is he going to be somebody that an NFL team is going to look at on day one and say, yeah, you're our, you're our every down back, like a Saquon Barkley? Or is he somebody that's going to be like a Leonard Fournette that's more of a first and second down back that on third and seven is coming off the field? Because like you said, you know, not the world's best route runner. They tried to get in Wisconsin, did involved in the pass game more last year, probably to help his draft stock. You know, he's not somebody that is a great pass protector. And so it's going to potentially lead to a situation where on third and seven, on downs that count, particularly for fantasy players, he's on the sidelines. And so I think that sort of dings his value in my mind. No, I, I agree with that sentiment as well. Like I said, I, he was always in my top three. He was never not. And I remember just a few, you know, a few short months ago where there was knocks about his volume coming out of Wisconsin yeah. Yeah. and the, the fumble issues. Uh, there was a, a stat on his fumble rate. I was listening to Todd McShay the other day and that it was all time alarming. But I, I, I'm with you. I think that the big three are still the big three for me. You can call it the big four, uh, depending on where you fall on Dobbins or Cam Akers and I, th I think that who's the 101 will change if Jonathan Taylor was to land in a spot that we don't see as advantageous and say DeAndre Swift were to some reason land in Kansas City. I mean, he's going yeah. to shoot past him uh, at the same time. And, and Jonathan Taylor is actually a classic reminder that don't double count someone's metrics. Like to your point, we knew he was a sprinter in high school. We knew he right. was fast. We saw his Nike spark 
you know, yep. production coming into the NCAA. So uh, one of those things, just to, to continue to think through your process, luckily, we're going to have a lot of time. We're not going to be watching basketball. We're going to have plenty of time right. to think, think about our process uh, about how we, you know, evaluate these guys. Uh, going to hit you with a, with, a, with a wide receiver question here. Uh, there, there, there seems to be this major, major, I don't know, we'll call it like a fight between the analytics right. guys and the film guys, and sometimes it's guys within, within their own circle on Henry Ruggs. Now, I like Henry Ruggs. I, I don't think he is obviously better than Judy or Lamb or even Rager, but he's someone that I, that I certainly like. Well, what are your thoughts on him, and what do you think he can be as both a, an NFL prospect and a fantasy football prospect? Yeah, it's been fascinating sort of to step back and watch the Ruggs war, you know, because what's interesting from, you know, the bulk of my work is usually sort of the quarterback evaluation realm, like that's sort of the the land that I stay in. And of course, like I evaluate all these positions, but the bulk of the stuff that I write tends to be quarterback focused. And so, you know, I've had battle scars from the Dak versus Wentz wars. You know, I've got battle scars from, you know, the Lamar Jackson, the Sam Darnold, the Baker Mayfield, the Josh Rosen, the Josh Allen class. I'm somebody that planted a flag on Brett Rippon's Hill last year and died many deaths on that hill as I had him in my rankings over Daniel Jones. And so this year with to his injury and the rise of Burrow, like the quarterback wars have kind of faded into distance. Like those drums are, those guns are silent, but it's really the wide receiver battles that have really raged on Twitter. And so to sort of observe those from afar, from a distance, as just a neutral observer has been somewhat amusing in my sense. I think where I sort of come down on rugs as somebody that obviously has seen him, certainly seen him as part of the study to a, as well as just watched him. He's a very good football player and will play a, I don't want to say pivotal role early for an NFL team, but will be a very solid contributor to an NFL team as a rookie. But I think there might be sort of a difference between what he might mean to an NFL team and what he might mean to your football, your fantasy football roster. You know, because somebody with his speed, you know, somebody with, you know, some of the route runner that he brings to the table is certainly going to be somebody that teams are going to want to get onto the field and try to sort of create some opportunities for. But it might not always be to get him the football. It might be, in a sense, to get other people the football. You know, he might be somebody that's used to run through the top of the safeties and clear off stuff for guys underneath. He might be somebody that's utilized as more of a decoy than anything else. And that will still matter to a football team. and He will still have a starter's role with that. But it might not help you win a fantasy championship. And so what I, what I think when you look at other guys, like take C.D. Lamb who or, or Judy, that can sort of be more, I think, high-volume receivers and could probably give you more after the catch, those guys might be more valuable to your fantasy rosters. But, I mean, that's just sort of where I sit on him. Like, I, I look at those three guys, and I guess if you put Ragor in that category as well, so your top four of this wide receiver class, I think they're all excited. I think they'll all play a you know, big role for their teams as rookies. But would it stun me to see rugs off the board first in the in the draft? Yeah, I think it would. Uh, I think we'll probably see Lamb come off the board at eight to Arizona, and I think that would be almost an ideal situation because obviously he'd be playing with his former quarterback, and they're going to be doing a ton of stuff that's going to get him the ball quickly in space designed to create yardage after the catch. That's a pretty good situation. Ruggs, you know, if he goes, you know, maybe if he falls to Philly, you can see it work out for him. But if he goes to, say, Buffalo, you know, if he falls to Buffalo, they're going to use him to clear out space for guys like Beasley and Brown underneath. And so, you know, ultimately, I think he's a good football player that's going to play a role for his team. But I'm not sure I'm leaning on him or counting on him in, a, in my fantasy drafts. In, we said in a, in a previous draft, we did a, a, excuse me, a previous episode, we did a mock draft with some fellow analysts and we kind of had him listed as a best ball asset, a guy that can easily do a Deshaun Jackson three catches for 150 yards and two touchdown type game. He's certainly yeah. capable of that. And I agree. I, I like your, your your two teams that you mentioned. I agree with Buffalo. Buffalo, he would be a redundant asset there. You know, John Brown obviously already plays the, the shorter speed guy in, in that offense and the mostly forgotten at this point, Robert Foster. 
But in right. Philadelphia, where they have the land of giants, they've got the two big tight ends. They've got J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. They've got Alshon Jeffrey, who should be coming back from a foot injury based on his contract. That's the kind of thing where he could go to Philadelphia and be mentored by a guy that he plays a very similar game to in Deshaun yeah. Jackson. And, and that would be the ideal landing spot. And I think it's almost impossible to accurately – throw him in a, in a draft position right now until you see where he lands because yeah much like the running backs there, there, there's gonna be some noise in there now I didn't put it on the show sheet but I want to hit you with a little something what did you make of T Higgins pro day today did, did you get a chance to take a look at that yeah I, I did see it and it's hard not to sort of have some reservations about it you know, when you see the 40 time, when you see the three cone, when you see sort of the way he plays on film, you know, it's hard to look at somebody with those kind of numbers, that kind of film and, and think, OK, well, this is somebody that I'm sure is going to get drafted in the first round in the National Football League draft. Like it certainly gave me pause. And we also, you know, when, when we're seeing guys end up in these landing spots, when we think about the draft capital of teams invest in the players if he falls to say the second round or late in the second round, you do wonder if it's going to be a worthwhile investment in your draft. Now, again, you know, we might be overthinking it a bit. It might be a situation where say a team like green Bay at the end of the first round, you know, they might look at him and say, well, he could still be a big body type X guy that we can use on the boundary. We can throw some back, you know, back shoulder type stuff to, you know, we can let him work in some contested catch situations. We know Aaron Rodgers is going to be extremely adept at doing that. And with the attention that I say Devontae Adams is going to get on the other side of the field, he might see some favorable matchups. Like, you know, again, it, it's sort of the rugs conversation. Again, the landed spot matters for a lot of these guys, whether it's wide receiver, tight end, running back, because you could see it in a situation that ends up being ideal, such as perhaps a T Higgins to Green Bay or a situation where it's not. Like, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it gives you pause. He's somebody that you're probably going to want to wait on and sort of see how things shake out, see if you get some sort of pre-draft buzz on him. You know, because some situations could work. I think a lot of situations might not. I, I kind of see a lot of the wide receivers in this class outside of Lamb and Judy as like a handoff wide receiver. And by that, I mean, think back to when Julio Jones came in the league. He was awesome, but he was still there with Roddy White. And eventually Roddy White handed off the mantle as the wide receiver won to him. And, yeah. I, and I, I see a lot of guys like that. Now, I think Judy and Lamb could come in. Like, I love the landing spot. I don't think it's the best use of draft capital for the Arizona Cardinals, but I love the landing spot of C.D. Lamb in Arizona in that Cliff Kingsbury offense yeah. with his former with his former teammate. What's, what's funny is I, I did a mock draft for Touchdown Wire, um, and I had the Cardinals go an offensive tackle at eight because I think they need to protect Kyler Murray. And, man, Cardinals fans were not happy. Like, they came back to me, man, and it was like, it's C.D. Lamb or bust. You know, I had people whose, like, Twitter handle is, like, C.D. Lamb to Arizona or at C.D. Lamb at eight and stuff like that being, like, you're out of your mind. So – Apparently, Arizona has gone all in on the idea of C.D. Lamb at eight. So good luck with that, guys. I mean, I think it would make offensive sense schematically. I don't know about the draft capital because they have other needs, you know, but we'll see. I, 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 I agree. Jerry and I, for our Patreon, we did a mock draft series, and I mocked C.D. Lamb to Arizona for that very reason. Now, I love the offensive tackle class that we're getting ready to have in the NFL draft, whether it's the Becton from Louisville or Weirves out of Iowa or Thomas from Georgia, and there's there's the young man from Alabama. There's a lot of great tackles yeah. in this class, and, and I'm with you. I think that if you've got a quarterback who's about 5'10", even though he's incredibly mobile, it just makes sense to protect him, but I can also get the justification of, hey, we've got to give him weapons and – Hakeem Butler didn't fire. Not sure what they've got in Andy Isabella. Larry Fitzgerald's super old, and Christian Kirk's yet to become a, a superstar. He's good. I don't know that he's great. So the, I, I like that conversation around the wide receiver position. Uh, let's let's shift to tight end, and then we'll just kind of talk about some some guys in general. Is is there a tight end? This tight end class feels almost invisible. The Invisible yeah. Man movie is out, and it's kind of a it's kind of a trendy movie. Yep. That, but but I feel like the tight end position is the invisible position this year. Some people like Adam Troutman. Uh, some people like Cole Komet. Is there a tight end that you really like that 
maybe won't come and kill it in year one, but someone that you could see developing into a really nice move tight end or a real weapon for an offense. I mean, I like Troutman, but I mean, I'm still hesitant there. Um, I do think he has out of this group of tight ends, the most potential to be sort of that full service, you know, inline NFL prototypical type tight end guy. A lot of these guys have more of that move tight end element to them. I mean, Komet, I think, has that. I think Bryson Hopkins from Purdue has that. You know, some of these guys might be big slots more than anything else. I mean, Albert always interesting, you know, the way he sort of splashed on the scene in the SEC at Missouri, you know, looked like he was going to be the next great NFL tight end and then sort of faded. You know, so you sort of wonder about them, you know, where he is right now. Talking to him at the combine, he says he wants to model his game after Gronk, and that's well and good. But, you know, when you watch him, there are times when he flashes – but it's seemed to have diminished since his, you know, redshirt freshman year. You know, a guy I sort of wonder about is Chase Claypool. You know, he says he's a wide receiver. He tested extremely well for a wide receiver and out of the gym for a tight end. He has tight end size. He's a willing blocker. You know, if I'm a team that is looking at this draft class and thinking, okay, well, we need a tight end. We're the New England Patriots, for example. We need a tight end. We're worried about Hunter Henry's knee history. We're worried about looking at Austin Hooper be somebody that struggles to beat one-on-one man coverage. And so we're worried about him sort of creating mismatches on a consistent basis. We're looking at this draft group and we're scratching our heads. I'm going to draft Chase Claypool and turn him into a move type tight end. I think he could be successful in that role. And so out of the guys that are potentially tight ends that excite me the most, it might be Claypool out of anybody else. I mean, Troutman and Claypool are probably the two. I like that Claypool. We talked about that during our mock draft as well, is that he could come into the league in like a a platform like My Fantasy League or Sleeper and come in initially with a wide receiver designation. And then once a year, at least I think it's once a year, maybe two times a year, that MFL will go back in and uh, change a player's designation. And if you were to get him in a tight end premium league, Uh, where you drafted him in like the third round and you ended up getting him converted to a tight end, it could be absolutely like hitting the lottery for a a tight end premium. Not that I've ever won an SFB or anything like that, but he's somebody that might win somebody a Scott Fishbowl. Because especially if something like that happens, you know, because if they bring back sort of the tight end premium like they did last year and you get Chase Claypool suddenly converted to a tight end who you drafted as a wide receiver, like that's a home run type of move. And I probably shouldn't have said that out loud, you know, because I'm now in my mind spinning ahead to this summer and I'm like, why did you do that, you chucklehead? Like keep and that idea to yourself. No, no like, one's listening. It's, it's just uh, me and you. It's just me and you talking. Just two guys talking football. Just two guys talking. We're not even recording. We, we need that men in black, that little uh, like ink pen that looking thing. Red, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the, the white light eraser. You you heard none of that because especially if, you, if if you've heard if you've heard it twice. So we're gonna slide into some of my my favorite segments of the show as we've had guests on. Um, this is what I love to ask because you obviously get super deep in these classes. Um, obviously with your work with, you know, touchdown wire and then with the RSP, is there a few three or four lesser known guys like the deep down and we call it the bargain bin in the, in the in season show, is there a few bargain bin names that we need to keep an eye on, uh, as we go into the NFL draft, if maybe they land in that rounds three through five, you know, I mean, I can sort of, uh, I'll start, say, with the quarterback position. I mean, there are two guys that fascinate me, and these are probably more for deeper dynasty-type leagues, like really deep leagues. So I don't think either of these guys are starting as rookies. But Cole McDonald f- from Hawaii, Anthony Gordon from Washington State, you know, both of these guys are arrogant. They're audacious on film at times. Um, sometimes they try stuff that they probably won't get away with in the National Football League, but I like seeing that aggression to them. And so I think they're guys that can come into this league, that can develop nicely. And it wouldn't surprise me if in you know a year or two, both of those guys are started in the National Football League. Certainly not. Like I, I think those guys have sort of that mental makeup, that willingness, that brashness to play the position. Talking to both of those guys in Indianapolis during the combine, they were two of my favorite people to talk to. And so I'd mention them. At the running back spot, uh, Regal Dwaddle, the, the kid from South Carolina, 
Um, I know he's getting sort of some buzz as we get closer and closer to the draft. I think sort of in the right kind of setting, you know, a, a team that sort of lets him be sort of a cut-and-go type runner, um, has some ability to contribute in the passing game. He's somebody that's interesting to me. And then, you know, I, I don't know what the story is with this kid. I'm dying to find out. But Tyler Johnson, the, the Minnesota wide receiver, because he's somebody that I want to watch on film, I love what I see. I, I love what he does at the catch point. I love his route running. Uh, I love the concentration he shows. I think he's somebody that looks like he could contribute early in his career. But he's somebody that went from, you know, Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Sea Bowl, was saying, you know, back in September that, oh, you know, draft Twitter is going to lose their minds if he doesn't get a Sea Bowl invite to him not even going to the Shrine game. And his, you know, draft process has been, let's just say it, it's been abysmal. You know, he doesn't really work out at the combine. He's saving it for his pro day. You know, I still have faith in the kid, but he's really going to get pushed down boards as a result of everything that's happened. And so he could be one of those sort of draft time steals. Tyler Johnson, I think, is the most polarizing guy left. I mean, we saw a little bit with the T. Higgins cleanup and... Yeah, he's got a lot to prove, and and he's one that I will really rely honestly on the NFL to tell me what they think about him. You know that that's been a, I would say almost infallible, but very, very more often than not, wide receivers taken outside of the the first three rounds have a real tendency to not fire, yeah. in, in fantasy football. So I was going to ask you some questions about a couple other positions, but I really want to go in your wheelhouse because. There, there are three quarterbacks that I, I would love to talk about for a few minutes as we get ready to wrap this one up. First one I want to talk about is, is my favorite. I like the fact that he is a, a good student. I like the fact that he's big. I like the fact that he's athletic. I, I, I think he's got one of the better arms. I don't think he has the best arm in this class, and that's Justin Herbert. And mm-hmm. wh- why I really like him for, for dynasty and fantasy is if he gets past – you know, Miami at five, the odds of him landing with a really good team and not just, and, and that matters more than people know. I think Baker Mayfield would be a lot better quarterback had he not landed with Cleveland. You know, I already right. mentioned earlier my concerns about Joe Burrow going to Cincinnati. I just, you know, I, I think this kid's going to land in LA. I think that's a good organization. And I know the, the Spanos haters would not agree with me, but I think you're going into a good GM and Tom Telesco. Or maybe you wind up in Carolina with the, you know, with with Brady and Matt Rule, and you're definitely not getting any further than my Colts at 13. So I think he's going to land in in a really good spot. What is your take on Justin Herbert? You know, I think Herbert's a fascinating prospect. Um, I'm I'm somebody that sort of in my quarterback rankings. You know, I've got the tier one. That's you know, burrow into a, then tier two has a group of guys in there and Herbert's at the top of that tier two. And would it surprise me if he comes off the board before Tua? No, it wouldn't. You know, I, I've been told both, you know, when I was down in mobile for the senior bowl, when I was out of the combine, that there are teams that really like him. And especially if Tua's medicals, although we keep hearing that they're clear, you know, if a team's still wary about that, Tua might go, I mean, Bur- Herbert might go before Tua. But that being said, I would love to see him fall. I do think Miami is a good fit for him schematically because Chan Gailey, a guy that believes in the spread, obviously that's going to have some schematic familiarity to Herbert. And so he'll be able to sort of step in and run that system early. But I think any of those teams, as you sort of work your way down, will be ideal landing spots for him. You know, I think the Chargers, with what they like to do, you know, it's a mix of sort of West Coast stuff with some shot plays over the top. You know, I think he's somebody that some design shot plays downfield off of play action would be ideal for, especially if you're mixing some quick games, some RPO type stuff. Speaking of RPOs, if he somehow falls to the Panthers, I mean, Joe Brady, like look at the offense that he runs. I think that would be a great scenario for him. And if he does get to your Colts at 13, you know, we talk about developing spot, but sometimes we have an emphasis on the schematic element of it. But let's not forget the coaching element of it. And if he falls to the Colts at 13, he's going to have a guy in Frank Reich that has shown that he can develop a quarterback. Let's not forget, he was part of the Carson Wentz team that developed him. And so, you know, for a lot of these quarterbacks, absent, say, you know, Burrow, I'd love to see them slide a bit in the draft to get some teams that are better teams or better organizations that have a bit more you know, of a proven track record to develop a quarterback. You know, I think with Herbert, one of the things that I absolutely love about him, man, is – 
the ability that he has to sort of read the leverage of the nearest defender and throw based off that read. You know, because the more I study quarterbacks and think about quarterbacks, the less I think that you have to be able to sort of diagnose exactly what coverage they're in. And the more I think it's necessary that you just have to be able to read the coverage well enough to see that nearest defender and throw away from him, whether it's, you know, leading somebody to space or a back shoulder throw and things like that. And I love the way Herbert does that. It's something he's shown throughout his career at Oregon. And so I'm really excited about him. You know, if he comes off the board, uh, Miami at five, I think he'll be you know, very good. But even some of these other landed spots, I think he could be great. One thing I like about Herbert is the same thing that the Texans liked about Deshaun Watson, is that everything I read is that other players liked him at the Senior Bowl, that there was this real sense that the players on his team were really into him as a quarterback and as a football player. And that was a trait that Bill O'Brien called out about Deshaun Watson, that that leadership quality to be able to get fellow alpha males to be able to follow you onto the field. I, I know it's yeah. it's hard to measure, you know, not like a 40 time and not like a vertical jump, but that's an intangible to me as part of the reason why I like him. Uh, I want to talk about Jalen Hurts. Now, here's a guy who kind of like Jonathan Taylor, but different. A couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, you know, he, he was – not in the top three, he was like four or five. And then all of a sudden today, the the love for Jalen Hurts has really exploded. I've heard Dak comps. Uh, I've heard a lot of interesting stuff. What is your take on Jalen Hurts? I hear he's going to be a late round two, early round three, but you know quarterbacks in the NFL, he could be a, a top 50 pick before we know it. I the, the arrow is certainly trended in that direction. I think you know, we shouldn't be surprised at the rise of Hertz throughout this draft process because he was somebody that when we got away from the film and got into the all-star game combine interview team meeting team interview circuit, we ha- we should have known was going to crush it because, you know, you sort of mentioned the competitive toughness and it certainly matters at the quarterback position, perhaps more than any other position, you know, and when you see Justin I mean, you, when you see Jalen Hurts and you see how he handled the Alabama situation, you know, some guys would have thrown up their hands and immediately transferred or done it a different way. You know, he sort of stayed for a while. He was there with Tua. He stuck by him. He helped him. He played a role in that offense at times. But then when he transfers, he becomes an immediate leader at Oklahoma. And that matters at the quarterback position. And so we should have known that when he get into an event like the Combine, that when he was going to walk into a hotel suite, he was going to probably blow some general managers away with the person that he is and the football player that he is and the man of character that he is. But the other thing that I've been impressed about is not that the throw-in sessions at the Combine really matter, but for him, I was very impressed to see the mechanics. You know, Because when you watch him at Alabama, you watch him at Oklahoma, he's got that dip in that loop. And I'm somebody that, look, when – I started saying this back when we were doing Mahomes that mechanics don't matter until they matter. And what I'm what I mean by that is, if you're getting the ball out when it needs to get out of your hand and you're putting the ball where it needs to be when it needs to be there, I don't care how you do it. But if you struggle to do that, if the ball is late, if the ball is off target, and it's because of your mechanics, then we've got a problem. And that's why Mahomes and his mechanics didn't really bother me because people were saying, "Oh, it's too loopy, it's too messy, his feet are never set." And I'm like, you're missing the forest through the trees, kids. The ball is where it needs to be, when it needs to be there. He puts it wherever he wants to. So who cares what it looks like? You know, we're, we're not judging style points here. But with Hurts during the regular season and during his time at Alabama even, the mechanics were an issue. But he's tightened them up. And it's good to see that because his throwing session at the Combine was very impressive. His throwing session at his pro day was very impressive. And so because of the things that he can do in an interview suite, because of the man of character that he is, and because of the the mechanics getting cleaned up, he is moving up boards. And he's in that second tier of quarterbacks for me. What's interesting with Hurts is when I was watching him up close and in person at the Mobile for the Senior Bowl, I started to have this idea of him, Memphis, in a – vertical-based Bruce Arians-type offense because he throws the deep ball with touch and he throws it very well with touch. The process and speed might be a bit of an issue for him because he does he is more of a see-it, throw-it type guy. And so 
dropping him in sort of a quick game, West Coast-based offense might not be the best fit, but an offense that relies on more downfield concepts that take a little bit more time to develop and give you more time to read what's going on is a good fit for him. And so I think that you know, wherever he goes, I think he's going to be a good NFL quarterback eventually, whether it's a year from now or two years from now. But I think in an Arians type of situation, he could be very good a lot quicker than people might expect. And if I'm Bruce Arians and we've decided to run it back with Jameis, maybe this Brady stuff is a smokescreen, who knows? I'm drafting Jalen Hurts sometime on day two, maybe early on day two, as my sort of plan B. Well, you could be the new co-host since Jerry's out tonight of this show because you are a great transition, my friend. I was going to talk to uh, Tampa Bay next. Now, okay. I, I do listen to the Colin Cowherd show on my way home from work. And whether you like him or whether you hate him, there's not too many national media guys as patched into the NFL as Colin. He's got a lot of connections. He's got a lot of uh, people in his phone that he can call and get information from. And he seems to think that Eason from Washington is going to wind up in Tampa Bay. He said that that big arm fits that Bruce Arians offense. What, what would you think of the Eason landing in Tampa Bay? And what do you think about Eason as a prospect? You know, I, I think he's a very good prospect, and he's you know also with that second tier quarterbacks for me behind Herbert, you know, a notch above Hertz, um, partly because of the athleticism and the big arm. And there's another part to what Eason does that I give him credit for, and that's his willingness to challenge between the hash marks, to challenge the middle of the field. Not a lot of these college quarterbacks do that. You know, that's something that Justin Herbert wasn't asked to do on a consistent basis. It's something that Hertz wasn't asked to do on a real consistent basis. But Eason has done that. Now, he's not always perfect, but I sort of give him a good grade because he's willing to do it. And let's face it, when you look at heat maps of where passes are completed in the National Football League today, it's up the seams. You know, because of so much single high coverage you're going to see in the National Football League. Obviously, in the college game, you might see more quarters-based coverages, saving cover seven type stuff where you've got the two high safety looks. So you've got to do some more stuff to the boundaries at times. But in the NFL, you're seeing a ton of single high. So you have to read and attack that middle of the field and those seam routes. And that's something that Eason does. Maybe it's not as as well executed consistently as we'd like, but he's doing it more than others. So I give him a ton of credit for that. I also sort of like the fact that you know, those sort of under center play action drops when you turn your back on the defense and you lose sight of what the secondary is doing just for a second or two, and then you have to come up firing, that cuts down your ability to read the defense. And the fact that he's asked to do that and does that fairly well speaks to his sort of process and speed. And then he had, look, he had the long layoff, but he came back and played well this year. And so, you know, I, I, I more than understand people looking at Eason, looking at the arm, and just penciling him in or even writing it in Sharpie at this point to him to Tampa Bay at 14. I get it, you know, and if they miss out on Brady and they decide to move on from Winston and want somebody that's going to start really quickly, Eason makes a ton of sense in that offense. All right, I'm going to get you out of here. I got, I got two more. One's a player and one's a general, like a prop bet type question. Uh, Jordan Love, he's another guy that locally the Indianapolis media – think that could easily become an Indianapolis Colt. I've heard him uh, called Walmart brand Patrick Mahomes, meaning it's not Pepsi. It's like Dr. Thunder. So so could could he be the Dr. Thunder to Patrick Mahomes? I think he could. I think he could. I mean, and the Indianapolis landed spot, similar to what I was talking about when we were talking about Justin Herbert and the Colts and that landed spot, I think would be ideal for him because there is – Again, that proven track record of quarterback development. What's interesting with Love is that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, he had, you know, his 2018, 2019 tape was great. You know, this tape this last season was was a bit off. He had the 17 interceptions, the 17 learning, you know, teachable moments like you talked about. But at the same time, he had some throws, a lot of throws the previous year that could have been intercepted. He might have had 17 interceptions again you know, the previous year. And so the, the idea that his tape two years ago was so much better, I, I think is a, a bit of a, you know, polishing that up a little bit. But I still think the arm talent is there. The athleticism is there. He throws a pretty ball. You know, some of his throws just leave you blown away. You know, he had that post route against LSU in the red zone that got dropped by the tight end. That's caught. It's on the money. It's a touchdown. They're winning early down in Death Valley, 7-3. And they... 
I think they missed the field goal, and then LSU drops 14 unanswered on them, and that game's out of control before you you know it. But that game could have been a lot different. And so I, I think he's a tremendous talent at the position. I think he's somebody that's going to need some time. You know, when I look at this group of quarterbacks, I think Tua and Burrow, once Tua's medicals check out, he can play right away. Burrow can play right away. Herbert can probably play early. I think that next tier of Hertz and Love and Eason probably, you know, will need a you know a little bit of time this season. A guy that I think could play early in the absolute ideal situation would be Jake Fromm. You know, I think I think Jake Fromm could walk into Chicago's locker room and be their starting quarterback. I think Jake Fromm might not be on Bruce Arians' draft board. I mean, he's very scheme dependent. Um, but for Love, I think he's somebody that could you know need you know a situation where you sit him. You let him watch from the bench until the bye, and then you put him in the lineup. You let him watch until midseason or something like that, and then you put him in the lineup. But, yeah, Indianapolis would be a great spot for him. All right. Last question. So I love Vegas. I don't bet a ton of sports. I'm really starting to like props because I can use my knowledge and just general paying attention of fantasy football and it really helps with the the player props. But there's a prop out there, and it depends on where you get it. Makes it a much more worthy venture if you're going to wager. But the wager is over and under, and I've seen it between four and four and a half quarterbacks in the first round of the NFL draft. So if it, oh, well, let, 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 let's call the number four. We'll give you the, the, the chance for the push. Uh, four quarterbacks in the first round feels like a lock. So is there going to be a fifth? I think there's five. I think there's five. And who is I mean, your fifth? Is it going to be Eason or Hertz? Yeah, I think it's going to be Eason. So I think you're getting obviously the four that people expect. Um, you know, obviously Burrow, then Tua, then Herbert, then Love. But I look at you know again when you look at the the draft order, you know there are a number of teams that, and first of all, there's that stretch stretch twelve, thirteen, fourteen, Vegas. Indy, Tampa Bay, I I think two quarterbacks probably come off in that stretch as well, which gets you potentially five by 14, you know? But I also look back at that 2017 draft when you had teams that didn't need a quarterback like Houston, like Kansas City, get their guy because they, they found their guy. And one of the best stories I think that came out from my perspective from the combine was when Cliff Kingsbury was at the podium talking about how early in his college career, Kansas city was on campus to watch and to learn about Mahomes, like, like his sophomore year, you know, they were already in on Mahomes. So they had identified a guy, they had identified their guy and they were going to get him. And so when you start thinking about this draft, there are teams like new England that even if they get Tom Brady back, maybe they go quarterback earlier than people expect. You know, it seemed like, you know, the Saints, they're going to run it back with Breeze, but they might want to get a guy. You know, when you look at even Tennessee at 29, they don't have a ton of needs. Maybe they get their next guy, even Green Bay at 30. And so I just think there are so many opportunities for teams to identify the guy, to draft him now so they can have that sort of fifth-year option at their disposal. And if they don't play him right away, to try to use that Mahomes-Alex Smith model. And so, yeah, I think we're going to see five in the first round as a result. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to take this one out on a hot take. I'm going to go out on a limb and say there's going to be six. I, I think Whoa. that I think that Oakland or someone is going to pull a Baltimore and they're going to trade back into that 31st, 32nd pick, and they're going to do exactly what you said. They're going to trade back in to get Jalen Hurts under that five-year rookie deal uh, because you know you get that fifth-year option, then you could franchise him. That gives you, you know, more than half a decade of that player service if you so choose. So I think that's a great call. Uh, I happen to live in a state with legal sports betting, so no problem there for me. To, no problem for me to get down on that action. All right, Mark. I first of all, I want to say thank you for your time. I appreciate the conversation. Uh, where can these people find you again? Uh, you said Touchdown Wire. What's coming up with Matt Waldman's rookie scouting portfolio? Yep. Um, so the easiest way to, first of all, Memphis, this was a blast. Had a ton of fun. Um, easiest way to, is to follow me on Twitter at Mark Schofield, but 
um, right for a bunch of different places. Touchdown wire, like I said, we're obviously be getting ready for free agency. If that goes ahead, who knows? Um, over at Matt Waldman's rookie scouting portfolio, I'm working on the t- the interception project where I do video breakdowns of all the picks that the draft quarterbacks threw a year ago. I've done Tua, I've done Herbert, I've done Burrow. Uh, I got to do Eason and Hertz and Fromm and Love. I want to make sure I at least get through those guys in the next couple of weeks or so. Try to get some of the other guys before the draft comes around. And then look, uh, contribute to a bunch of the DFD, uh, SB Nation websites, uh, Big Blue View, helping cover the Giants, uh, Bleeding Green Nation, where I have a, a quarterback podcast with Michael Kiss called the QB Sco Show, and Pat's Pulpit, where I cover the Patriots and host a show of my own, uh, the Sco Show. Well, listen, I, I really appreciate it. It was very kind of you to, to jump on. Uh, his Twitter handle is one of the easiest ones. He doesn't have an underscore. He's old school like me. We're not cool. we're not pro underscore. It's just simply at Mark Schofield. That's spelled S-C-H-O-F-I-E-L-D. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for jumping on. And remember, on behalf of Mark, I am Memphis, and here at the Dynasty War Zone, we're just here to make the world a better place for fantasy football. We'll see you back here real soon. Thanks for tuning in.